Live from Houston, Texas, it's the Weekly Four Podcast. Steven, 30 seconds ago. Lonely. I'm so lonely. What happened there? Oh, you're talking about the fact that I invited you onto the podcast and it didn't work for you. I don't know. I was just waiting and it, you never showed up, but that's okay. I am a victim of circumstances. You're a victim of something. Life. Um, so um, I think we're ready to get started. Um, so uh, I had a very fun experience last night going to an Astros home World Series victory. We hadn't Tell had more. one. We haven't had that since Game Five of 2017, actually, which is also a game I was at. I think I um, that game was an incredible game, but that's for a different time and place. But last night was a lot of fun. Astros won seven two. Tied up the series with the Atlanta Braves. Today's a travel day, and then they begin games three, four, and five in Atlanta starting tomorrow night. It should be with muzzle. Ghostros. Yeah, it's a fun environment. Like everybody's very into it. Um, it was funny. The one thing, my, one of my favorite parts of it is like in the eighth inning, these people are trying to start the wave, and everybody just wants to watch a World Series game. You've got like a couple of teen girls a section over trying to do it, and some like young guy with his like seven or eight year old, seven eight year old didn't even seem like he was interested in it. And we're like, we're, we're trying to watch a baseball game here. Like, you want to do a wave because you're bored in a regular season game? Fine, but this is the freaking World Series. So it was. I'd say ninety five percent of them felt that way. So it never got started, which I was. Not upset about the wave is fun <laughs> if you were bored out of your mind. Short of that, like, why if you're trying to watch a World Series game, like, come on, these people are paying thousands of dollars for those seats or sold them for thousands of dollars, one or the other. Um, and uh, and and they want to try to watch their team when without having a huge distraction. It's also fun to be in a city that's in a World Series because something about it, maybe because I mean, I guess basketball is a series but there's something about the world yeah. series that people just get behind it and people get excited and um yeah. you know like I, I was in like downtown today like everyone's wearing astros gear and it's it's nice yeah it'll be interesting to see if the rest of the united states is behind it because uh, it'll be interesting to see where the ratings end up with this thing so um mlb really wanted kind of probably astros dodger i mean dodgers um um Astros or or Dodgers, Red Sox, um, Astros, Braves is kind of of those final four teams probably the lowest in terms of ratings. So I, I think mean, the, fact that the rest of the country kind of hates us because we cheated, even though all these other teams were doing it before us, and that we're kind of the scapegoat. Even an Oakland A's pitcher kind of said that that we've kind of been made to be the guinea pig for all this, even though there are tons of other teams are doing something similar, but. Still, most people still just hate the Astros because they thought their baseball was so pure, even though baseball has this long, long, long history of cheating um, with pitchers throwing stuff with illegal substances on it, with players taking steroids. Um, So it's it's the sanctimonious nonsense that comes with baseball that kind of is is um, nonsensical. When in reality, it's about winning at any cost. I mean, people don't want it. They want their games pure. That's what they think. But yeah, I mean, when players have millions of dollars on the line and contracts, I mean, people are going to try to use every advantage they can through either legal or illegal means. Steroids. Like, it wasn't just to put up the records. It was also so that these players would get huge contracts and get paid millions of dollars. 
cheating and stealing signs has been a part of the game for a while, but what, where the boundary was on that was always um, kind of um, was a vague line, but most people agree that the Astros definitely crossed that line. So, um, Yeah. But the, then that's sort of the story of Texas. That's what I was thinking. Like, you know, the, the, the state has like this history of, you know, come and take it. And, you know, the word I keep on hearing is grit. Um, but that like, that's sort of a characteristic I feel that's common in Texas. And so the Astros, went the extra mile and did whatever they could to win and then doing what everyone else does. But then because they're out of Texas and it's Astros and whatever, people felt like it was okay to pile on or to use them as the scapegoat that, you know, now this is, now we're going to enforce this rule, this rule that until now we've either neglected to enforce or acted like it doesn't exist. Now we're going to make an example of it. And like, yeah, I would say probably the fact that they're from Texas is probably a part of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I will tell you is that um, um, people just love to bash on other cities or anybody, uh, the sanctimonious part, everybody thinking that they're better than other people or that I would never do that. It's this, it, it's this, it's an age old feeling of, well, I would never do that. Even though if they were put in the same place, they probably would have 90% of people would have done the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, by the way, that goes very nicely hand in hand with rule number one or two, depending on the context and how I'm sharing it. But don't throw stones um, at other people's glass houses. Never make absolute statements. Yeah. The other cool thing uh, that I saw, and it'll actually tie into the next thing, was a history making event. It was the first ever at bat between a Jewish pitcher and a Jewish hitter in the World Series last night. Uh, Max Fried for the Braves was their starter and pitched against Alex Bregman in the first inning. Um, Bregman had a sick sacrifice fly against him in the first inning, so it wasn't an official at bat until he faced him again uh, later in the game. But first ever plate appearance and at bat of a Jewish pitcher and a Jewish hitter. And the Braves also had Jock Peterson there after who was also Jewish, so he actually had three Jewish players out in the game. But in the game, but it's the first time ever a Jewish pitcher faced a Jewish hitter in World Series history. Mazel tov. No, I, I think it just says something about only there are very few countries in the world um, that um, have kind of given Jewish people this much freedom um, throughout time that they've been able to rise through the ranks of, of sports, which is kind of um, on a pedestal, I guess, in American culture when you really think about it. And literally, there are people cheering for Bregman and supporting him, um, and, and it's and it's nice. It's a baseball field. People just cheer for whoever's on their team and could care less about their or, or hate whoever's on the other team. It has nothing to do with their race, culture, ethnicity. Um, it, it's kind of it's kind of just supporting your team and not really um, at looking at kind of an individual as part of a collective rather than the individual themselves. Well, not to make this too much about Texas, but once again, the sense that I have in this state is that people may not agree with you and they may be different than you, but the reality is, is that they put like personal freedom above everything else. Maybe only God is above personal freedom. And so, you know, they don't, they don't care. People here just, just as long as you don't 
in, in like encroach on their freedom and their rights. They just do you and do whatever you want. And I'm going to hate the other team and I'm going to love my team. And I, I don't care if they're white, black, Jewish, Muslim, like I'm just going to cheer for my team. And as long as that person isn't doing anything that offends me or threatens me or takes away my, or threatens my freedom, my personal freedoms, I just don't care. Yeah. No, and it's um, it's it's a nice sentiment, um, um, in a lot of ways. So, um, speaking of Jewish people, it brings us to the next sport thing. It's actually today's the fiftieth fifteenth anniversary of Red Auerbach passing away. Red Auerbach was the Jewish Hall of Fame uh, coach and later general manager of the Boston Celtics, responsible for more championships in any sport of any team in history, I'm pretty sure, because he was either the coach or the GM for all 11 of Bill Russell's championships, 11, um, which is insane. And then what um, team was that with Boston Celtics? He was always with the Celtics. Was that with Larry Bird or was this long before that? Bill Russell was before Larry Bird. And then with Larry Bird, three championships with Larry Bird. So he was directly responsible for 14 major championships um, in in sports, which I think is the record. Um, and kind of um, literally also um, there was a book written about his relationship with his black superstar, Bill Russell at the time, which in the fifties was um, to the early sixties was not something common, but it's kind of the Jewish people in the African-American community. It's just a nice story of literally like two groups that are segregated that even though for all intents and purposes, you obviously think that, um, they would feel that there was a real friendship there, um, even though e- each one of them couldn't imagine what the other one kind of went through. Um, so kind of that shared mutual um, being s- segregated and against, and then them rising above everybody else to win 11 championships. So um, it's an interesting angle. I haven't read the book. I probably uh, might get, I have it somewhere. I may get back to reading it. Um, but I just think it's an interesting dichotomy of if you think about what America was like in the 1950s and here you are in basketball, it's being won by a Jewish manager slash coach and his African-American superstar. So, Yeah. And, you know, and again, that sort of brings it back to it. Like that's what, that's what it's supposed to be about. You know, the, the, the problem that's happened today in sports and everything else, it's, it's just people have lost. Yeah, but it was way worse sight of in the fifties. The racism and anti-Semitism in the fifties makes today seem like a cakewalk. No, for sure. But the point is that they were able to see past it. That's what I'm saying. Or like able they, to, yeah, yeah, like that. They 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 saw each other. No, they could people. recognize exactly. They could recognize the greatness in the others and the other one without having to do with anything in terms of as who they were as a person, not by any other standard other than that. Right. And the reality is, is that today, it's just not the case that one of the things that is that it's the us versus them. And again, in sports, that's, that's, that's the point of it. So in sports, of course it's us versus them because it's our team versus their team. But the whole point, I, I always come back to this and say that a big part of sports is to give people that, channel where they can say us versus them because in the broader society they can't necessarily do that anymore well it's also in the broader society hopefully they shouldn't do that anymore hopefully sports can be the one thing where people can cheer and be us versus them so they don't have to then have those conflicts outside of sports 
Um, well, yeah, but then it's this one... camaraderie, teamworkship. I think how everybody like realizes it's just a game at the end of the day. This isn't war. Players shake hands after every football game, after every basketball game. Um, um, baseball less so. It's interesting. Baseball is the one sport where you don't see the other team after every game like uh, greet each other or uh, hockey. I don't think they do it much either. But it's funny. Basketball and football, they really do it. There's way more of a camaraderie. In baseball, you don't really see it happen. So that's an other an interesting uh, thing that we can look further into and try to delve into those reasons. But again, uh, probably for a different podcast because I think we probably spend uh, need to look up a lot more um, background info as to why baseball uh, players and from each team don't shake each other's hands afterwards versus why they do it in football and basketball. Yeah, but at least um, we got to close out sports on a positive note about Red Arbach. I wonder what his full name uh, Jacob. That, Arnold Jacob. Yeah, it was Arnold is what the Red was short for. AJ. And, yeah, and he was um, yeah. And he was probably a redhead in terms of before his hair went white. I don't know if there's a picture of him with red hair ever, though. Um, September 20th to 1917 to October 28th, 2006. Yep. That's a full life. Good for him. Yeah, and very famous for smoking his cigars after the game when, or actually before the game was over when victory was at hand. So it was, um, I think they actually talked about it um, actually, in a recent episode of Billions, actually, how he, how Arbuck always lit up uh, cigars when victory was at hand. And the worst thing you could ever do is light it up before you were positive you had victory. Smoke them if you got them. Um, the next topic we have, to talking about sports, the war, it's another kind of good connection, is the Greco-Italian War. Yes. So that was one of these on-this-day things that I saw. And in uh, in Wikipedia, and to me, it was like I never really thought of that as a separate war. It was just I always thought of the invasion and occupation of Greece as just a part of World War Two. Mm. And interestingly, it actually was a Greco-Italian war. The Italians initiated the war with the Greek. The Germans weren't ready yet. The Germans were planning Operation Barbarossa. And so from their perspective, they didn't really want to mess with like the, um, the, the, that part, the Balkan, I think Balkan or Baltic part of the, of the Mediterranean and Europe. And it was actually El Duce who um, wanted to settle a score with the Greek ro- royal family and, uh, and invaded and, and launched the Greco-Italian war on this day in 1940. Hmm. October 20th. He he gave him an ultimatum. Well, yeah, to be fair, then, I mean, World War II was already underway. Uh, uh, the Nazis already had invaded Poland in September of 39. But yes, um, Hitler um, kind of was trying to still um, not, probably was not looking to create another front of battle. And again, even though that they were kind of allied with Italy, I'm sure the last thing he wanted to do was um, divert any intention and focus for his future war with um, the Russians. So, Right. And so the Italians invaded. They underestimated the Greek resistance. The Greek army, the Hellenist army, fought them back. And then what ended up happening was there were all these treaties that started to look like they may come into effect with 
the UK and with France and the Germans didn't necessarily want British ships off the coast of Greece. And, um, and they, they just all started getting nervous. And so um, the Germans ended up getting involved and invading. So basically the Greek were fighting the, the Italians on the Greek Albanian border. And then the Germans just walked in from like behind them. And, uh, and then as a result of that, Greece is occupied. I think something like 90% of its Jewish population was murdered. And uh, all because El Duce wanted to prove that he well, was they superior. they were murdered not by the Italians. They were then sent to concentration camps. But right, right, right. But the right Greeks because uh, um, I will Mussolini's one redeeming quality. He didn't have a lot, but his one redeeming quality was that he protected uh, Italy's Jews from the gas chambers, um, as well as the fact that for him it was uh, again. It wasn't about a religious um, end to all Jews everywhere. That wasn't what the war was about for him. Um, yeah, but it's a very interesting little war because it really was a Greco-Italian war in the midst of World War Two, mm-hmm. and not you know, and, and and so there's minor. It was more like a proxy war between the Allies and the Axis, but um, it was actually just this legitimate war between or whatever. Yeah, legitimate war between two countries. Um, in the midst of World War II, and then yes, World War II got pulled into it, but from for the and it went on for over a year, I believe, or around a year. And in that time period, it was really just the Greeks and the Italians fighting. And the only reason the Greeks even caved eventually was because they literally ran out of bullets. Like they 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 were run, they had no artillery and like no artillery shells. They just were running out of it, and they weren't able to get resupplied fast enough. And, the you know the Hellenist army eventually collapsed after fighting a war for over over a year. That brings us to our next topic, um, Lady Liberty. It's the 135th anniversary of um, of President I think Grover Cleveland is what I read, um, which I'm going to bring up in a second. Um, uh, dedicating the uh, Statue of Liberty. So that was today in history, 135 years ago. Um, kind of a beacon to every um, immigrant to this country, kind of a symbol of freedom. Um, gift from France to the United States, which is something that most people probably don't know, um, that it was a gift from France. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about it um, is the fact Grover Cleveland, who I wanted to bring up, is the only president in history to serve two non-consecutive terms and the other thing happening this week is there's been a lot of rumors that Donald Trump is planning to run again in 24. And I have a feeling he's going to talk about Grover Cleveland a lot in his stump speeches, how there was this great president named Cleveland. They threw him out or they took the election from him after four years. And then he came back and won again because the people realized how much they missed and loved him. I'm just waiting for that um, to be coming out of the Trump organization in about T minus, oh, about two years from now. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, or lady and gentlemen, our two listeners. Um, Stephen Misner making a prediction on the context of Trump's votes. Now, as the pessimist in this crowd, which is a sad state of affairs, I thought, actually, Donald Trump will be the first person, president to serve three terms oh, man. consecutively. The, what, how would he, so you're saying he's going to be 
he was president, not president, he's going to be president again, then he's not going to be president, and then brought him back again. Worse. That's that's what three non-consecutive terms means. He was president, then he's not president, then he gets elected president, and then he changes the law and term limits and runs to be president again. Yeah, but then those two terms will be consecutive. You yeah, can't yeah, just change he, the law. You need a constitutional amendment. He's, get it done. What's it? The Art of Negotiation or whatever his stupid book is called. Listen, I mean, uh, we've had a president. We had FDR serve four terms during World War II. Um, he died in his fourth term. Um, so he only ended up serving a little over 12 years, but he was elected four times FDR. It's not unprecedented in history. Um, I, I think as much as you think Trump is beloved and everything, um, I, I actually think, and as much as everybody's going to line up behind him, I don't think you will get nearly enough support in order to get that done. Um, um, because again, even all of these backers of Trump, I know for a fact that a lot of them put up with him because they have to rather than liking him as a person. So once he's president, they'll say all the right things, but to him personally, but I, I, I can't see that happening, but um, that is definitely a pessimistic point of view. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Although honestly, after another four years, he'll be 79, 80 years old. He's not the type of person, at least what it seems to me that he wants to do this forever. I think he misses the power, but he'll get it back for four years. Then he'll, realize what he should and wants to get done and then he'll go and still be the kingmaker for the republican party as long as he lives which is insanity it's so upsetting yeah it just it's just so upsetting because if some decent republicans out there and they just it just not it doesn't matter because if he doesn't decree it if they're just not going to go anywhere. Anyway, moving on, let's switch topics to um, what Congress is currently targeting billionaires. Happy 66th birthday to Bill Gates. Um, my first thought when I saw that was, holy crap, Bill Gates is only 66. Looks like he's about 75. Um, my second thought was, um, he's probably one of the five people most directly responsible for uh, the internet and personal computers this day and age and what and what we have today and then my last thought is that he has done a lot of good with this world and it's nice to see as much as they want to give billionaires a hard time he has more than anybody um between his pledge and between just where he's put his money gone to really try to help our planet so people might criticize musk and bezos and whatever uh, gates has kind of kind of stepped up here um, and and done a lot of good work. So again, I think they're both important. They work hand in hand, but I feel like they're able, Bezos and Musk, to step off of his shoulders in order to focus on that because he's already doing such great work trying to help our planet. Again, there's always more work to be done. If you listen to the left, um, that we're destroying the planet and we're spending way too little time and effort on it, which is very possible, but I don't think... I just think people are way too positive on the fact that that's what's occurring. So I, I think it's likely, but I don't know if, I, again, like you said, any time anybody talks with certainty, that bothers me a lot. So for starters. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> don't, don't wear sweaters. I think yes, one makes them look make so old. old. Yeah. yeah. So let's just not 
wear sweaters. Um, second of all, the this billionaire thing is so ridiculous. You mean Be- taxing just the top thousand people just because they have a lot of money um, and on their wealth is kind of insane? Not on their income, but just because they have money? Yeah, you know what's nuts. different about their wealth than the other 99.99% of the people? Their wealth is working. Their their wealth is in companies that's generating that are that is creating jobs that's that's innovating. Their money isn't just sitting in a bank account twiddling its thumbs. We're cut, no moron with more than a hundred thousand dollars of net worth is sitting. No one's sitting on more than a hundred thousand dollars of cash. That's not true. You know what I mean? I'm exaggerating. But but, but my um, point not, is not that, even close. But my um, point but what is my, that yes, exactly. They're putting they're, this money to work. Right. If all of a sudden um, Elon Musk has to give three billion dollars in taxes for a given year because he made how much money? It's like he has that thing liquid. Wait, by the way, hold on. Back up one second. When I say the hundred thousand dollar thing, I'm thinking about this. Like, you may have it in CDs, and you may have it in 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 the stock market, right? No, some people could also have it in just checking accounts because they have to. And obviously, a hundred thousand dollars is an extreme number. But my point is, is that most people, when you're talking about a billionaire, how much cash, just straight cash, are they sitting on? If they have, they're probably sitting on north of fifty to one hundred million of cash. Exactly, exactly. So that means right, right. But when they get, but when they get charged three billion, they're going to have to sell stock, and that'll exactly. cause a panic in the markets. And exactly, it's 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 the left not realizing how their wealth isn't just sitting there doing nothing rather that it's invested in these companies and that charging these billionaires three to four billion dollars every year or if they make fifth uh, it, you know whose fault this is i'd love to hear it walt disney how do you figure it's walt disney's fault because how many of these people think that these rich people have a safe filled with coins that a okay, couple this, times a day no, they're just no, going and jumping off a oh diving board God into their pool of coins scrooge mcduck yes no i this is not i don't think scrooge mcduck for any thinking person is is the reason why they think if you if you don't they think that if you're worth five okay they i'm sure there's people that think that if you're worth that when they think about a person worth five billion dollars they think about a person that has five billion single dollar bills that's that's what they're thinking about they're not thinking about the fact that 4.95 4.95 billion of that. Yes, but these these people are Congress people. You'd like to think that they would have a little more um, insight as to how money works, how things work. Now, a lot of them don't. They're they're. I think the extremes on both parties are so ill informed that it's insane. Um, but, how many people uh, do you think know what a family office actually is? We can get into this. This is a much longer conversation. Again, but it not- goes back to the billionaire tax. Fine. Well, let's circle back on that. The last thing with um, with Bill Gates and the planet is that to your, you, you, I mean, you took the words literally. Like, I agree, right? To make these absolute statements about about climate change in the, in the world, like, should we stop polluting? Of course, it's disgusting. It's dirty. Like, it, yeah, it's killing the planet. Of course we should stop. Of course corporations should be more responsible. And we need to do that and work on that. But don't sit there and say, like, oh, we know the answer to, 
to the, this. This comes back to the whole thing with COVID also, right? If science and medicine can't solve it, how can we think of living with it? Because we've gotten so accustomed to science and technology being able to solve for everything. So this is the same, same type of thing. We've figured out what's going on. We've figured out the climate change. We know what's up. And we know exactly what needs to be done in order to fix it. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what the future holds. By the way, if you look in Archie comics from the 1990s, they were talking about an ice age in 2000. They thought the world was going to freeze. So, And then they said, well, technology is better now. Well, the technology was better then than it was 20 years before that. So all these people, what the problem is, is that they think that they know what's coming. They think they've found the solution. And that goes back to the notion of living quarter to quarter. No one's, you and I talk about 20 years from now. Most people are thinking what's happening tomorrow, what's happening next quarter. Yeah. Yeah. People most, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, happy 66th birthday to you, Bill Gates. Um, I love Bill Gates. And by the way, you're right about his impact on technology. I don't know whether or not that's a good thing, like putting a computer in everyone's house. It was sort of nice when I was like the geek and, I had a computer and I knew how to use it, but no one else knew how to do anything on it. Now, like my mom knows how to use a call me on like WhatsApp video. So, um, (laughs) thanks Bill Gates for making my mom FaceTime me. Well, no, that's, that's the magical (laughs) part. Um, but the, the less magical part is that, you know, did everyone really need to have this much access to technology or should it have just been reserved for us geeks? That's, well, like it or not, it's here. So just got to try to figure out the best way to utilize it. Which is um, basically that my parents, who are thousands of miles away, are able to receive within seconds a high-resolution image of my children playing on the beach in Galveston. That's definitely a positive. Um, and we started with World War II about history on this day, and we'll finish with World War II. So four years after the start of the Greco-Italian War... Um, Ukraine was liberated um, from the Nazis um, in 1944. They celebrate Liberation Day today. Um, and it, it's funny, you can make the argument that Ukraine, almost more than any other country, went from having it horrible under the Nazis to having it horrible being right next door to Russia and Putin and, um, and, and first living behind the Cold War, uh, sorry, living behind the wall, being in the Cold War, now always constantly having to worry about the threat Russia poses to them. One of the few places in the world that literally is just situated in the wrong place. And it's crazy. I just Google this. There's 44 million people live in the, in oh, yeah. the Ukraine. Like yeah, it's, a it's a big huge country. country. Yeah. That's Canada. Yeah. And, and they're just, and, and, and Ukrainian people are not Russians and they're, no. and they're just, yeah, like you're right. It's, <laughs> I, I don't like to admit it when my mother-in-law is right, but she always says location, location, location. And Ukraine is a country full of great people and smart people. And they just, they're just in the wrong place. Yes. That is being situated right next to Russia and then right next to Germany. It has not been a fun uh, last um, 75 years for the Ukrainians or 80 years. Let's go with. Uh, it looks like since like 1649. I don't know. They, it's almost. I think it. It would probably. I would want to do a head-to-head comparison between the Ukraine and um and whatever the Polish Republic or whatever it's called, but between Ukraine and, and Poland and see 
who's had it worse. Both of them are in similar geographic yeah. locations in the sense of being on that border between Western and Eastern Europe. Um, and both of them have had a rough couple hundred years. Got it. You still there, Joe? Yeah. Okay. Um, Dan, moving on to our next topic, Dan Crenshaw makes some interesting points. This is your lead, so I will let you get to it. Yeah, so Dan Crenshaw is a congressman from Texas. Correct. And he is an ex-Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. And he is very conservative. And I definitely... And got and famous from nas- nationally famous from Saturday Night Live making fun of him. So that's how a lot of people might know him. He is the eye patch guy, in case um, you were listening to this and don't know who he is and be like, oh, that's who it is. Oh Keep man, going. I am I am so out of touch. So I don't even I didn't even know that SNL it was that recently. Oh, it was about two three years. It was probably about three four years ago. Like when he was like a freshman congressman, about two three about probably three years ago. So Crenshaw says a lot, right? And and so when someone says a lot, I guess it's it's possible that they'll hit bullseyes. There's 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 just throwing a lot of things out there. But he talks about climate change the way that it's being politicized and he talks about camilla harris and her and and hypocrisy regarding immigration and you know what he does is he really is brutally honest with everything and i think he gets a bad rap sometimes for the fact that he says so much that there's things that just get him get people riled up against him but when I saw his thing where he was talking about climate change and and it's just been, a, you know, every now and then I just see these interesting comments come out of him where he really does make some interesting points. So my point in this is really just in bringing it up to say this is an example of a person that you may not agree with everything he says, but generally his thoughts are pretty, his, his points are well thought out. And it's worth listening to the things he says, especially if you're in Texas, because I think he can be insightful sometimes. Yes, he's not the typical Republican who is just going to fight about like follow party lines. He's he's a lot more thoughtful. Um, Ted Cruz is like that in a certain way, also with he's arguing for term limits, um, things that a lot of other people aren't talking about. Um, It's it's kind of that Texas brand of independence as much as you're part of a party, though, to get behind issues that necessarily um, aren't necessarily even that widely talked about in your party or necessarily people aren't behind in your party so yeah um now they talk about different things obviously ted's not talking about climate change but um, it's just very interesting well crenshaw talks about everything and i think that's a part of it right like he he really does yeah he doesn't shy away from any topics and and yeah and 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 almost to the extent that i think he tries to comment on every topic so and 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 Ted Cruz certainly is more focused. So you know, I I agree with you on that point. But I think it's also a point of saying like, you know, it's worth listening to because because there's things that I really disagree with Crunch on, but it's I still like listen to the things he says because a it's it's interesting to hear so, so many different opinions on so many things. And, and and I think it's also about listening to people that you don't always agree with one hundred percent. Exactly, agree or disagree. He's still giving intelligent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. 
So that was that was the point of that. It was really just it's it's both saying like here's an interesting source of of information. I'm not saying he's right, just information. And B that we all should. I, mean, I think it's it's worth trying to listen to people that you don't always agree with, as long as they're doing it. Like that's a great point what you said. As long as they're doing it in a thoughtful way. Yeah. Um, it was weird. I just got a FaceTime from Stephanie's grandmother at midnight New York time. So either it's an emergency or it was a butt dial. I'm going with butt dial, but if she calls me again, I'm going to have to uh, hang up. Either um, way, the podcast must go on. Well, the podcast wouldn't go on if I have to finish the recording, but just wanted to give you that heads up. So a shout out to her. Hopefully she's doing okay. She's 95 years old. So, um, uh, a long time uh, she's lived through a lot of this stuff which is kind of amazing when you think about it that there's still people alive that lived through liberation day in the ukraine and and the greco-italian war and all this stuff uh, she wasn't alive when lady liberty was um inaugurated um or or um i'm blanking on the right word here but it's uh it's if you live long enough you see a lot of things in your life how do you think she would react if someone went up to 20-year-old her and said, 75 years from now, you'll be sitting in New Jersey. New York. and In New York, and your butt is going to make a video call to your grandson-in-law by mistake. <laughs> she would say, what's a video call? Probably first, <laughs> second, um, um yeah, I think that'd probably be the first question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Think, yeah, you I mean, know what her second question would be? What? Who is Matt Drudge? Ah, that goes into our next topic. So Matt Drudge uh, hits his fifty-fifth birthday today, and founder of the Drudge Report. And this is actually something I didn't know. The Drudge Report gained fame after Newsweek um, tried to kill the Lewinsky Clinton story, and he brought it up um, and and published it. Um, through his then really early website in 95. If you think about where the internet was 26 years ago, it's, it was a much different place to now, but that's kind of what kickstarted him. Um, and in the 90s and 2000s, he was literally the place to go to for news that the major outlets weren't covering um, and to get news stories about anything that might be breaking that wouldn't be um, necessarily, I'm trying to think, not necessarily vetted, but it was really trying to just get news out there um, that kind of major networks were kind of either ignoring or for one reason or another due to influence um, not reporting on. Yeah. It's interesting because isn't drudge like there's a verb drudge, right? Yes. But it's not from him because the verb drudge is like a menial task. His last name just happens to be drudge, I think. So, I always, it's just so interesting to me that his name is actually Drudge because I when you drudge was, something up, it's like bringing up from like the ground, which is very contextually accurate for what the Drudge right. report was. And to know now he was actually naming it after himself. That's like I I'm like digesting that. <laughs> yeah. So happy fifty fifth birthday to him, and honestly. Um, you can, I, I like to make the argument that giving people as much truth as possible is definitely for the better. 
um, even if it's uncomfortable or something that the American public isn't used to. Like there were plenty of presidents that had affairs and cheated on their spouses and whatever. But um, and you could make the argument: should that be the public's right to know? Um, I ma- I make an argument that if somebody's electing somebody, they're electing their entire character, and that's a part of it. So I'm a big believer in again accuracy, truth, um, and giving that as much as possible to the public. Ra- rather than what happens nowadays is that people um, allude to things or don't bring it up without fact and 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 draw baseless conclusions based off of opinion. But what Drudge did really was go off of facts. So um, I I think the country's in a better place having a drugs report than not having it. Yeah. It, it, I saw someone post and it's one of these things that you don't have an inalienable right to have a Twitter account, but you do have your inalienable right to share information. And thank you, Bill, Gil, Bill Gates for enabling the internet to distribute that information. And um, yeah, like as long as it's going off of facts, and um, it's just about getting information out there. Like, I think that, yeah, it's, it's a positive overall. If people don't like being criticized about their bad behavior, then they shouldn't misbehave. Yeah, I, I think it's a very valid um, feeling. And, or don't uh, run for public office. Right, exactly. You want to try to keep your private life private. And make sure you don't put yourself in a public situation. Yeah. Um. Next, Israeli Air Force's multinational blue flag exercise. We're into the random part. Uh, we've kind of covered sports history and politics, so now we're random. So what were we talked about on the last podcast? What were the results of this exercise? So this was the largest exercise to date. And um, the results were over 80 jets from different countries and 1,500 foreign personnel coming to Israel for a period, and um, it was a bit over a week. It was uh, started last Sunday, and I think it ended today. And um, in the course of that, you know, the Air Force is from these different countries, and there were additional nations that were, um, like, observing. So the, one of those was the United Arab Emirates, which is super cool. It's the first time that a senior military officer from the UAE was participating in this type of thing in Israel and being in Israel, and then also reps from other countries like Japan, Romania, Finland, Netherlands, Australia, South Korea, Croatia. Um, so it's 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 a big deal, you know. It puts Israel front and center in the in an important global arena. This may not be on CNN and MSNBC, but where it matters, you see Israel standing out and being a part of force for good so that was um that was a, a nice part of it and then um you know they all the exercise and everything that went down it but i think this uh, this international uh element coming to israel and being a part of this and um and israel leading it i think it's pretty cool so the result is the world one well i mean obviously is the, the exercises right um, and the training, but the no, uh, yeah, no I'm, think, I'm saying f- because of this global um, working together and cohesiveness that it's kind of like the world running. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, I don't, did we discuss this last time, the Squid Game? 
on the last podcast either. We did not. I didn't think so. You finally finished watching it. I did. And we are eagerly waiting your thoughts on it, and then I'll happy to give mine. So kind of number one show on Netflix. Um, just a little backstory if you haven't seen it. Um, it is basically a, a game where people um, take part in children's games, um, but if they don't succeed at them, they lose their lives. These are people who have mostly down on their luck, have no money, owe a ton of money to either banks or um, or gangs or other things like that. And they basically are playing this game for there to be a winner. And that winner gets a giant sum of money. Uh, it's about, <laughs> I think I did the exchange rate, like I think it's like 50, 60 million dollars, US dollars. Um, <laughs> again, this takes place in Korea. So you have to do the exchange rate, but um, it's an interesting commentary on on society and wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Um, so before that, now you forced me 65 billion, 46.45.6 billion won um, is around 38 million US. Oh, so I was a little off. But yes, $38 million. I have a lot of thoughts on the show. It's a very profound show. But I think the one thing that stood out to me is the character trait that all the competitors in the Squid Game shared, which is it won't happen to me. That character None of them trait could believe that that they would be the ones who would lose their lives. Right, we're not going to be the ones that die. It's going to be everyone else. It's not going to happen to me. And if you then look at their lives, that's how their whole lives were. Right, they they live their lives in a notion that like, oh, I'll get away with borrowing money from a gangster. Because that's not what, yeah, that happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me. And and then they go back to the hunt, to Squid Games. And that, then the other part is, um, I was, I like I like to find parallels. I guess so. The parallel that I saw was between this and Hunger Games, um, where it's still driven, you know, by a certain socioeconomic element, and uh, and and that that's who's forced sort of into that position. Obviously, there's probably some exceptions but for the most part they are preying on people that have been put in a certain position and as and their way out of that position is by playing the game which is pretty similar to hunger games yeah to me it was an interesting take i mean they're they were trying to make it like capitalism was a kind of a result of all this i mean that's how north korea it was interesting that's how they're selling it there that cap this is what happens in a capitalist society even though this actually has as far as we know doesn't exist um in the world um nobody can know 100 percent sure but it seems highly unlikely um but it was more of a take just that kind of the ills of capitalism is that's how north korea interpreted it i look at it a different way kind of um like you did the desperation all these people had in their lives and how there's so many people who literally um, it is an interesting point. One of the characters made like I'm here. At least I have a chance out there. I'm already dead. Um, and kind of feeling that level of hopelessness. And uh, one of the things to me that I was thinking about is how fortunate everybody in the United States is um, a majority part that like most people here are like, Oh my God, in a million years, I would never do anything like that. 
or that this could never happen here or um, <laughs> it's crazy that people will be willing to risk their lives. Um, when people have nothing and they're desperate, people will take a one in 456 chance to win again. Uh, and you can make the argument. It's not like they didn't know about their odds either because after um, at least in the show, after the players, there's a little bit of a giveaway if you haven't seen it, but not the whole thing after the players um, originally are called, then they voted to disband the games and then, and then the games restarted and 93.7%, I think, or like only like 6% of the players didn't come back. So even after knowing that it was a game to the death um, after that first game, and then there were six more and there was likely to only be one winner that still 93% of the remaining contestants came back, which is, which is nuts. And it's, um, the fact that that number was so high also is another commentary. I think that the, they were trying to make how, no, these people literally have nothing else in their lives to live for. And um, <laughs> unless something monumental happens, like winning this, they feel like it's as if they're already dead. Uh, and keep in mind that around 50% of them or over 50% of them voted in the, in the, to leave. No, uh, only, no, it was in the show. 50.1% voted to leave, right. 49% so, voted to continue even before <coughs> before the games got disbanded the first time. But that means people that voted to end the game also came back. That's oh, yeah, also, yeah. No, that's the point. It's about like 80% of them did. Right. So that's also crazy. And um, yeah, the, the, the other... Oh, there's so much. But in terms of this happening in the real world, at that scale, even in a country the size of South Korea... Do you not think that if 455 people were disappearing on like a monthly or weekly or even annual Yearly. basis? Annual basis. Like, I think I, someone I would feel notice. like, honestly, I feel like North Korea could actually get away with that. I think it'd have to be a totalitarian regime. That they're hosting it and that's where they make money. Totally. By the way, side theory of mine, all the guards... <laughs> All the guards in the red uniforms, right, are North Koreans. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that anywhere. I mean, it's. I mean, again, again, I haven't read this that is, anywhere. This isn't our. Again, it's not a reality. Um, but maybe they're meant to symbolize North Koreans. No, um, no, no. But here's the thing. Here's why I say they're North Koreans. They speak Korean. Right. They are Korean. Yeah. And look, at, and they just, how do you find so many people that can just so easily just shoot people? Oh, man, Nazi Germany proved that <laughs> very easily. But South Korea isn't Nazi, isn't Yeah, military. Germany, no, but Germany. But I, 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 you could find that many people in the United States, too. I don't know. I, that's, but that's my theory. My theory is that all the guards are North Koreans. Yeah. Um, or at uh, least the ones that are just, like, shooting people. Yeah, uh, I, I think people. It's very easy. You could you could easily see these people thinking that these are the drugs of society, and I'm doing society a favor. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I um, and I don't think you have to go as far as to be a North Korean to a country like that for people to think that. Unfortunately, not realizing how every human life is 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 important, no matter what type of person they are. Right. Um, 
it was uh it was definitely a good watch like i enjoyed watching it and i'm yeah. glad i binged it because oh yeah it's a definitely a binge one show like i couldn't imagine having to wait um for the next episode unless i, I or mean, even or even choosing to wait like i just wanted to get through them yeah i wanted to know what happened next i mean i thought it was extremely well done and that's the type of thing i feel like that's the perfect type of people are lamenting the show's come out every week like i'm watching a couple other shows on apple tv that come out on a weekly basis like um ted lasso i was fine waiting a week to see the next ted lasso it wasn't like an edge of my seat oh my god what is going to happen next like the squid games were so i I think i think this streaming binging that this uh, it fits so neatly into that on that show also yeah and did you watch it in korean or did you put on did you dub it I had it dubbed and watched those subtitles because I actually found it interesting when they didn't line up and I looked at the words and then what they were listening to. And then I found that like, sometimes I went with the words to try to think that's what they were saying. And sometimes I went with the dub to think that's what they were saying. So um, I found it, especially in a couple of key times helpful that I had both on. And yeah. That made it a better watch for me, but you know, it's interesting. I, I can't, I can't stand dubbed. I prefer to watch in Korean. That's honestly understand. how just my Netflix was set. I also prefer to watch it in the native language with subtitles. Yeah, um, but I wasn't going to try to figure out how to fool around <laughs> with it. <laughs> but I actually yeah. was happy in the end that I um, had it both dubbed and because sometimes I think the dub made more sense than the subtitles. Um, but more frequently, I think the subtitles were correct versus the dub. Did you find the parts of you'd the show? You'd think, by the way, you'd think that they should line up perfectly. No. Theoret- in a perfect world, you'd think that because you'd think that the people are just reading from uh, the subtitles. Right, but they're, they're incorporating uh, cultural context to make right. it more understandable. Um, did you find the predictability uh, of certain parts of the show uh, to be a positive or a negative? Um, I think a lot of people were surprised. I think that this happens to me a lot with shows that I can predict what's going to happen. Um, um, so it doesn't bother me. It's just kind of what I've come to expect. Um, like the fact that I I don't want to ruin it for the people who haven't seen it yet, but, um, I wasn't surprised by a lot of it. I would have, but I feel like that's my, I can still appreciate something without being surprised. Um, would I love to have been a little bit more surprised? Yes. Um, but um, it was kind of par for the course for me. So, so I hear that. And then what about the, um, that scene? So there's a scene where they basically, allow all the games contestants to turn on each other and it's during the night. Ah, that, yeah. Um, that to me is uh, humanity at its worst. Um, the, out of, actually, I think out of the entire show, that bothered me the most because, again, it's one thing when everybody has a fair, a fair shake and, they, and the whole thing with school games is you all have a fair shot. These are not necessarily games of brute strength. These are games of knowledge. It's like the old man made it I'm again far, uh, but if you, you know what, I'm just going to give it. it. Stop listening to us now if you haven't seen Squid Games. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler yeah. alert! Um, the old man made it pretty far. Again, 
obviously he designed a lot of them. So um, um, it's not surprising, but there were plenty of other people who necessarily weren't physically the strongest that were able to go pretty far or could have potentially even won. Um, so to me, that was fine. But literally when you had that turn off the lights and had them attack each other at night, then to me, it was like, okay, this just became a gang thing where people were killing each other for the sake of killing each other. And all the fairness of every person having a fair shot, that went out the window because if it, it, it really, um, it, it really turned into basically like a gang war and, and in prison and the whole show. Black. Yeah. in pitch black, it really became like if prison, if a prison guards ran away and just let the inmates do whatever the hell they wanted to each other. Whereas everything else was so controlled. And if everything in that whole thing, that kind of bothered me the most. If I had to do one thing, I would take that scene out because you already know how bad these people are when they're in the games and they're doing these two things to each other. I don't think you needed to have that type of brutal human element behavior because it doesn't fit with the rest of the game. Yeah, it was... It was Because the games had this whole thing about them and maybe that was another thing he was trying to say that as much as you think you're creating this fair and just thing you're always going to do something that literally makes no sense to be fair and just so how can you ever say what you're doing is completely 100% fair and just at giving these people a second chance yeah well and and then the other part of it is in the culmination of it they never address it but yes the old man is on the top of this tall tower of mattresses Right. And one of them says, how did he get up there? And that was the moment that I realized like, that there was something off with him beyond right. the fact that he was the last number. Uh, also, the first number. Uh, the first number. Um, yeah. But also just the fact that in that scene that he survived and that he got, he was in some place that was un- unexplainable. And the only reason it stopped, presumably, it was also because of him. The whole thing was that that whole scene, that whole scene. I just thought wasn't necessary. I think I know what they were trying to convey, but I actually would have preferred if they had left that out. So, what were they trying to convey? That I, I think they were trying to convey that as much as they say that this thing is completely fair and and um, everybody has a shot at winning, and this is supposed to be the sanctity of the games. It's kind of like there's no one. Uh, I, I think there's. They were trying to say it on themselves that this thing isn't literally fair. Interesting. So I take it to say winning at any cost. And the other thing that I take it to say is that... No, I think they were trying to say that there is no fair thing that in a society, there will always be somebody that has an advantage. That as much as right. these game game makers tried to make it fair, in the end of the day, there's no way to make something 100% fair. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's a good watch. I enjoyed it. Yeah. There's a lot of good, you know, it, it makes you think and, and, and it's well done, like you said. That's, that's a good point also. They did a good job producing it. The filming is good. The music is good. Like, the story flows. They, they, they did a good job on it. And that comes to the end of our podcast. We have about 40 seconds left. So, um, Mr. Levenstein, it was a pleasure and an honor and looking forward to next week. And if you're still listening to this podcast, please subscribe. Yes. So you can get a notification subs- next time we publish something. 
And uh, those who've listened before, welcome back. And to those new listeners, thanks. And join us again next week. Have a great evening. Good night.